Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We just got to enjoy our cold glass of water in the desert that was sports news. We got the NFL draft. Virtual and everything looked like it went without a hitch. And the Ravens definitely did their magic. They left with 10 new Ravens. And we're excited to talk about them today. Guys, what were your initial reactions? It's interesting. I think overall it was the position groups you thought they were going to target and even some players that we were expecting, but there was enough surprise of picks and and maybe what round those positions were picked that you know, it was it was what you expected but but not quite. And and enough of it being not quite to make you uh, at least have to think about the draft a little bit after it all went down. Yeah, I feel like my reaction to this is is just that as someone who's not living and breathing college football and like has like my own like top 200 like college players like coming out of each year, I feel like going into it, you always kind of like attach yourself to like a couple of names, right? You're just like, oh, I'd really like to have like these like two or three guys. And usually those guys are going to go in the first two rounds, right? But then beyond that, you're kind of just like, you kind of look at the name, look at the position, like look at some highlights, stuff like that. You're just like, oh yeah, I could I could see this. I, I guess my point is like, you know, you can't get too caught up in the moment, like when you may not land like those two or three guys that you like, but then you have to look at the draft like after the fact and then look at the positions addressed and look how everybody else is reacting to it and then be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, you know, actually this is really good, even though, you know, at the time, like I felt really crappy about it. Yeah, guys, my initial reaction to the draft was a little sour or just, I don't know about sour, but anyone who was with Ken McCusick and his watching group they saw my my death tilt at fifty five. Yeah, fifty five. <laughs> and uh, and and just the rest of the night almost like was hinging on that. Eventually, after the draft was finished, I looked back and I was like, you know, this is a pretty exciting draft. I started thinking about it from a few other perspectives. One thing I want to talk about is just the fact that the Ravens drafted all their holes except for probably edge rush, you know, edge pass rush. Every other hole was addressed, and some of their holes just happen to be in positions that do not give you that second contract value that we're kind of looking for, right? You're trying to find rookies that do great, that are cheaper, because their second contract's going to be so much higher. But we ended up having those kind of players. We got Lamar at the quarterback position. We've got uh, you know Hollywood at wide receiver. We got two stout tackles on the offensive line, right? A lot of those positions that extract a lot of value... Um, our corners, you know, our our secondary, they're all locked up in a way with young talent uh, that's entering their second contract or about to, right? So getting another one in those places maybe wasn't the best idea. Just thinking from like, if you want to win a Super Bowl next year, and I think we all do, and still and still set your team up for success long term. I don't think it ruins that. But I kind of like took a step back and said, you know what? Maybe taking lesser positional values like running back, which you know I thought wasn't going to happen, then it happened at fifty five. And then linebacker at, at the number one p- draft spot that I started feeling better about it. And once you start to l- get to know some of these players, it's hard not to get excited about them. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, if we start out with the first pick, Patrick Queen, this was a guy that it's interesting. We kind of all overthought our our draft analysis going into this, because if you, you looked at the very early mock drafts, a lot of publications were saying Ravens are going inside linebacker it's going to be either Murray or Patrick Queen and I think it was just so much of a foregone conclusion that that was a position the Ravens were going to target there that we all had to overthink it and be like ah well maybe they'll go Ruiz maybe they'll go trade down because there's going to be a, a plethora of guys there which I think we'll get to to that as well because that is actually how things kind of worked out for the Ravens but you know, I think there is a debate as to whether or not you really truly need an every down inside linebacker uh, in today's NFL. But the fact of the matter is the Ravens gave up 4.4 yards per carry in the rushing game last year. That was the worst mark in franchise history. You just blew a Super Bowl because you let Derrick Henry just rush through the defense like it was made of tissue paper. I think that getting an every down linebacker to at least 
have that guy there in the case that you do still need that position in today's NFL is better than trying another year of, well, let's see how far we can get by with, you know, these uh, off the street veteran linebackers as much as we can. Yeah. And I love that the Ravens addressed it with not only Patrick Queen, but then picking Malik Harris in the third round too. Um, he was another name that was kind of on the board as, you know, one guy who would could have been that kind of uh, day two, um, you know, second or third round pick as an option. You know, not some guy you, you would lean on to be a three down linebacker, but maybe somebody who could come in and be, you know, a solid run stuffer to take a spot like, you know, Josh Bynes was playing last year. So I, I, I absolutely love it that we got Queen and Harrison both to fill those spots. I think it makes a lot of sense. It seems like their skill sets complement each other too. Queen's more of a, you know, he could be a three down linebacker, but he's definitely has a lot of strengths in coverage and a lot of strength in blitzing. And Malik Harrison being that two down kind of run stuffer out of the gate. You know, I think both of their skill sets, they could fit in, you know, carve out a, you know, pieces in this defense. And I think that they, you know, could be a very good tandem for us moving forward. So I'm definitely excited that, you know, we not only addressed the position, but we addressed it, you know, with, with two guys instead of one. This might be a crazy take, but I wouldn't even be shocked if Malik Harrison finds himself to be a three down player, maybe not three down linebacker, but three down player in our system earlier than people expect, because he has a knack for blitzing as well. And you could run him a little bit on the edge and use him as an edge rusher almost. So that was something I thought that was interesting that wasn't talked too much about Malik Harrison. Everyone knows he's a downhill player. Everyone knows that he's just imposing with his size. But um, when he goes after the quarterback, he actually has a pretty good knack for it. So maybe he could even be uh, some kind of blitzer um, as well. Now, you bring up a, a good point with that. I actually brought up his, his college stats. I'm looking at it right now. In each year that he was at Ohio State, he increased his sack total and tackle for loss total each year to the tune of three and a half sacks his senior year and 16 and a half tackles for loss, which I mean, again, three and a half sacks isn't that much, but you got to think coming from the middle linebacker position, you're not getting uh, as many opportunities to, to blitz the quarterback. And it's harder because you're, you're going up the gut of the offensive line rather than around the edge. But yeah, I mean, I feel like Chris, what you said is is excellent point with how Harrison and and Queen their skill sets complement each other. It basically added value to the drafting Queen when you, they got got Harrison in the third round. And for myself, at least, I can remember we were talking about the pick and about all the players that the Ravens had to pick from at that twenty eighth pick, and you know we were all throwing out some names of who we wanted and. I think the initial pick for our group was a little underwhelming just because we had all those options to pick from. You're just like, ah, who, who is the best one for the Ravens to pick? And maybe Queen wasn't the guy that we were all in consensus with the Ravens should pick. But yeah, I, I do remember feeling a lot better about the Queen pick when I saw the Ravens got Harrison and it was like, okay, now I see what the plan is for the defense going forward and... I think it's great. I think it's a great strategy going forward, and I'm excited to see how these two pair together. I'm certainly interested in seeing how the Ravens' scheme will change now that we have these two linebackers. We invested a lot of draft capital. 47% of our draft capital was invested in these two players that we're talking about right now. And, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if we have a normal-ish offseason and they're able to kind of start digesting the playbook that they could be starters. Maybe Fort is more situational than we expect, Definitely Queen's probably going to start, right? So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how, like, they very quickly flipped over that core. And, and like you were saying, Peter, you know, they got decimated in that loss against the Titans. And I think they decided at that point they wanted to be a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical. And the, those two players definitely make that happen. Yeah, I think it just makes sense, right? I mean, you know, losing C.J. Mosley a couple of years ago was definitely a huge loss that just we could never really feel it. We tried with Owasso, we tried with Bynes, you know, we tried with Fort, we tried with Kenny Young. We really, really took a step down in in terms of the play that, you know, we I think the Ravens kind of expected from from that position group. And so yeah, looking back on the draft now, it just kind of, you know, just reaffirms that that the the front office was really concerned 
about this position moving forward. And, you know, that explains why that they, you know, put so much draft capital as they did into this position group. But like I said, Peter, I'm, I'm super excited. I think these guys could be, you know, really, really good players for us. The only thing I'm a little upset about is that Patrick Crean wanted to take Owasso's number. I was hoping that he was going to be in the 50s, but it looks like he might be taking 48. So we'll have to see about Malik Harrison, you know, what number he's going to pick. Um, you know, I imagine that probably won't happen, I don't know, for at least a couple more weeks, I guess numbers will be assigned. Well, <laughs> talk about jerseys. I think Queen is going to be one of the most sold jerseys ever for a Ravens rookie because every uh, woman fan is going to want to be the Queen. <laughs> you know i I, uh, I asked katie if she wanted uh, a queen jersey and she was like what she like didn't understand it <laughs> i i told rachel she's getting one she we didn't get to really have a conversation about it. i just told her i'm i've got the perfect gift for you and she got excited you know <laughs> and i was like i'm gonna get you a Ravens jersey that says queen and it's their new rookie linebacker and he's supposed to be good <laughs> yeah yeah katie kind of looked at me like uh like deer in the headlights and it was just like i don't <laughs> she's like i don't understand <laughs> tell her her and rachel can match one day it'll be great <laughs> <laughs> oh man well let's go ahead and talk about the next pick probably the most controversial pick of the whole draft um at least for the ravens dk dobbins running back ohio state you guys remember when i said we wouldn't draft a running back oh i remember that So I wanted to see what you guys thought were the chances the Ravens pick a running back. I'm going to put it at 20%. So is this picking a running back at any round? Yeah, just at all. 100%. Oh, wow. Maybe maybe <laughs> not maybe not 100. I'll, 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 go, I'll go 90. Like, I, I think it's very <laughs> likely that they pick up somebody. Oh, man. What, what was your percentage on, on your expectation for the Ravens draft a running back again? 20 percent it's a lot lower than me and chris's uh 88 and 90 respective i mean well chris first flippantly said 100 and then he, he backed down a little bit but he shouldn't have he should have been like yeah we're gonna use our second round pick on him 55 same as ray rice you saw how that turned out <laughs> that oh, is- man. And, the, and the ray rice comparisons go further than just that i mean his build at uh five nine two hundred he looks like Ray Rice. He's springy. He's fast. He has a nice leg churn. Catch the balls out of the backfield. I mean, home run talent. I mean, I think it's a, it's going to be an exciting player. I, I'll forgive him for this once he's like tearing it up. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> man, it was so hard to see that, particularly when Mims was on the board. My boy Mims. I wanted him at fifty five, and then the Jets took him at fifty nine, and I was pissed. <laughs> I was so mad. And at, at Espinosa was available at 54 and I was praying that he would fall and then we could choose between the two, but uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't so. So they decided to go DK Dobbins. Well, I think that was another thing that made the pick a little harder for us to swallow because we were so high on, on Epineza in the draft preview episode. So I know for me, I was watching that and I saw that he was still on the board and I was just like, there's just one more pick. There's no way the Bills draft him. And then that's the name that flashes across. So I was still recovering from that. And then I see that the Ravens took a, a running back with that pick. And it was it was a lot to, to process in that five-minute span. Right. Yeah, that's exactly why I brought it up at the beginning of the episode about, you know, I got to take a step back afterwards because, yeah, I was just like you guys. The only uh, saving grace I'll say here is that, you know, my, uh, my wife's family's from Buffalo. So obviously they're going to be rooting for Epineza. So maybe if I go up a couple times a year, I'll be able to see him, you know, play up there. You know, I hope he's still a good player. But yeah, it was definitely disappointing, you know, to uh, to see the Ravens take a running back after that, you know, especially because, you know, I don't I don't think we really talked much about running backs when we did the draft preview. It was a position that we kind of took for granted. Like we knew that, you know, we had some promising guys behind Mark Ingram and we figured that the Ravens would kind of go in that you know direction. But uh, and yeah, I got to be honest, too. I, you know, when I heard the pick, I was like. J.K. Dobbins probably isn't one of the handful of guys that I've heard thrown around in terms of like the first two rounds of the draft. So, you know, I mean, I think it just kind of shows to me like I wasn't super knowledgeable about the running backs here. But, you know, now that I've gone back and and seen some of his highlights and and read some of the uh, reviews that some people have had on this guy, I'm a I think this pick is very interesting. And I think the the Ray Rice comparisons, I think, are 
very, very interesting. You know, for a couple of years, Ray Rice was an extremely good player for the Ravens. Definitely carrying the 2010, 2011 Ravens teams, even 2012. He was a big, big part of that offense. And if J.K. could be anything like that, I mean, that would be absolutely huge. Pair this guy with Mark Ingram, who had such a good season for us last year, and then add, you know, Edwards or Hill or both. We don't know what's going to happen. I think that's extremely interesting. So one thing I'm looking up here at uh, J.K. Dobbins college stats because one thing I did notice on uh, one of the scouting reports I read for him I believe it was on NFL.com but I'm not certain where I read it was that he's not a natural receiver so that is one difference between him and and Ray Rice I mean Ray Rice like 2008 through to 2010 was the you know just dump the ball off to Ray Rice was you know the second favorite play in the playbook so (laughs) that's true that's true right but what's interesting now I mean college schemes are are different, and as well as I don't know who the quarterbacks were at Rutgers. Apparently, Ray Rice in his college career in three years only caught 37 passes, and J.K. in same amount of years caught 71 in his college career, 9.1 average per catch versus Ray Rice's nine flat average per catch. So, again, I don't know enough about the quarterbacks at Rutgers or the offensive scheme to know if if Rice evolved into a receiver or there just wasn't the opportunity for him to display that there but it is noted that even if he didn't show the production in college at that part of his game that doesn't necessarily mean that that he can't evolve into that because we just we saw Rice have you know more twice as many receptions a single season than he had in his whole college career with the Ravens. (laughs) I think what will be also interesting is to see if Ingram's actually at full health uh, I saw some Ravens fans on Twitter saying they're a little concerned. Maybe Ingram's injury at the end of the season has lingered longer, um, and and he may not be a hundred percent. You know, maybe like it just will impact him long term. And uh, I'm also just curious to see, given the fact that again this modified off season, will he be able to get the mesh point down with uh, Lamar? That might really hurt his ability to make an impact right away if he's struggling with the mesh point. So I'm hoping it'll just be electric and I'll forget about all this. But uh, it's hard. You know, he actually had a lot of carries in college. And the running back position typically is not a position you consider for a second contract. So we spent a lot of draft capital on a guy who's going to be around for just a couple of years. But hopefully they're really good years. Well, maybe not. I was thinking about this and, you know, kind of a counterpoint to this is despite the fact that this was a high draft pick, I don't really think this move is for next year per se, because you do still have Mark Ingram. Again, we don't know how healthy he is, but I'm just going to assume that he's going to come back close to full strength. And then you still have Gus Edwards. Now Gus Edwards is on a contract year, so you don't know if, if this is going to be his last year. You're saying, you know, you don't usually sign a running back to a second deal. And though Gus has been, efficient his first two years in the league I don't know if he's a, a I wouldn't say he's a high priority free agent for the Ravens so yeah I mean I think you're right he's got a lot of carries on him um, but I think that you do have the option to ease him into a, a higher workload at the NFL uh, level save his legs for a year or two while you still have these two very effective power backs with some speed at the top of the depth chart uh, and then as either as Engram gets older or, or Gus Edwards goes somewhere else, you know, by year two or three of this guy, then he could take over as starter and you're not left in a, in a running back hole like we were with off and on success from 2013 through pretty much 2019. Yeah, I think this is one of those discussions that's probably going to last up until basically the, the last game in the preseason, assuming that we have all of them. Definitely something that's going to continue to be talked about. And I think it just, it comes down to a numbers game, right? Of like, who's performing well, how many other people at different positions are also performing well, and then ultimately, how many running backs are you going to keep on the roster? Definitely seems like JK is going to be playing sooner rather than later. But I do agree with you, Peter. I think this is kind of a pick that's probably, you know, made a little bit for this year, but more so next year. 
definitely a best player available kind of pick because if we were going for you know a pick of need we probably would have gone edge or we would have gone receiver or we would have gone you know offensive guard or tackle or something but yeah I think I think it's going to be super super interesting you know I'm really curious to see you know how these guys are able to play ultimately like what skill sets they can bring to the table because I think that's what's really going to influence roster construction here uh, to figure out like okay what does JK have that you know Ingram doesn't have or Edwards doesn't have you know and you know how much do we think that he's going to be able to contribute in his first year could be really really interesting to see yeah well the next pick definitely seems to be a position of need Justin Matabuke defensive tackle out of Texas A&M you know this one I think this is also another super interesting pick I think because initially we're all looking at this and be like, oh, we just traded back from 60. The Jets just took Mims. What the heck are we going to do? And then we end up picking this guy. And yeah, I think the immediate reactions on Twitter and from the reviews after were just that uh, the Ravens definitely got a steal in this guy. I think a lot of people had some late first round or, or second round grades on this guy. A very good defensive tackle. A guy who's, you know, has some past rush ability to be able to play from the center of that defense. And it looks like he had five and a half sacks uh, this last year. I'm super excited about this guy. You know, one thing that also like made me super happy too, is that the Ravens had the initial reaction from him um, getting the call from Eric DaCosta. And he just seemed so extremely happy to be drafted by the Ravens. It was just like, it's awesome to see. I can't wait to, to see this guy in a presser. Cause I feel like I'm going to like really like this guy. Yeah, he did have a great reaction. I remember seeing that. That was uh, definitely one of the most emotional reactions to being drafted that I can remember of a Ravens pick in recent memory. I think another th- thing to highlight about this pick was that you know the Ravens traded back from pick 60 to pick 71, and yet we're still able to get this guy. And yeah, you know, sometimes, obviously, when you trade back, it doesn't work, but that was a great job by DeCosta and the, and the, the scouts of knowing that there was a good chance that they would still be able to get him and get a little bit for that that pick if they did that. So that was a good gamble that pulled off. Justin Matabuke has become my most favorite player drafted by the Ravens this, this go-around. He was rated above Blacklock by some who went earlier in the round. He was a former five-star recruit. He's solid against the run. He generates pressure. That's one thing that Ravens fans aren't used to is defensive tackle who actually generates pressure um, and, and gets after the quarterback. He's more athletic than you think he'd be. I, I also just echo the fact that I loved seeing him get so emotional and just sobbing at the fact that he was drafted. He was a critical pick. Absolutely critical to the Ravens. We're, we're crying too that we got you because it's critical that we have him now to learn from Campbell, to learn from Wolf, to learn from Williams before they all like retire right the line was getting old but talented and now he gets to learn behind all of them and I think in the limited snaps he'll get you know maybe like 30 40 percent of the snaps this year he's gonna make an impact I think he could be one of the biggest impact players from this draft and he's not even gonna be at the top of what he'll be providing coming a couple years Definitely agree with that. I mean, yeah, that was definitely one of the things that I highlighted in the draft um, preview episode was that, you know, defensive tackle was a position that we are very top heavy this year and be able to get him and and one of the other guys in in the later rounds at defensive tackle is, you know, just awesome to be able to build the depth up behind them. Very, very excited with this guy. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to, to mix in with the other guys that you mentioned, Alec. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think with the the defensive line rotation that we have, that you know the snap rotation that that Wink runs, I think uh, it's going to be really really good for his development in the first year to be able to you know, mix in some snaps with some of the vets. Well, after Matabuke, the Ravens said, "Finally, Alec, here you go. Here's your wide receiver that you've been looking for, Devin Duvernay out of Texas." One thing's for sure, guys. Harbaugh liked this guy like I liked Dante Pettis last year. He was punching the air in excitement when we finally got him. Oh, now I got to think some bad things about Devin Duvernay pick. <laughs> I was just, I saw the video of him like punching the air and being so excited about getting him. And that was me about Pettis last year. <laughs> and then <laughs> it all blew up in my face. <laughs> 
just put that bad juju on this pick, Alec. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> All right, edit it out. Edit it out. No, it's staying in the show. Uh, well, in seriousness, I think, you know, this was an interesting pick in some ways. Obviously, we know wide receiver was a position of need, but I think since we know we have the the shifty speed demon in wide receiver in Marquise Hollywood Brown, and we're trying to see who that outside, over-the-middle, taller receiver is. You know, maybe it's Boykin or Scott. Maybe it's someone else. I think we were expecting someone, the the guy the Ravens would pick as the first wide receiver to be more of that build. But, you know, Devernese, a little on the smaller side, 5'11 and 200, but he is a physical receiver, and he gets in the slot, and he's a great yak guy. So, you know, maybe physically he isn't exactly what we were expecting the Ravens to get to fill that need, but he might fill the the void of that down the field or at least uh, more medium route over the middle of the seams receiver that the Ravens desperately need. Yeah, to be honest, I think my take from Duvernay and then from uh, James Proche in the sixth round is that I think these two guys are, are definitely going to be fighting for snaps, I think, mostly in the slot. Um, so if I had to guess, I mean, I, I think that these guys would be competing with Sneed primarily uh, for snaps in the slot. Obviously, you know, I think, you know, they could play behind, you know, Boykin if they needed to. But, you know, I, I think Boykin and Scott are really the only two receivers on our roster right now that are, you know, of that sort of bigger size to be able to play more aggressively downfield and, and win those like 50-50 jump balls. Off the bat, I don't see these guys competing with Boykin so it seems like it's kind of his job to lose at the moment but you know that being said uh, you know I think from some of the draft comps that we've gotten from these guys I mean they seem to hit a lot of the boxes that we checked you know we were talking about in the preview episode about what kind of receiver that we wanted I mean these guys are fast but they've got good hands they've got great hands these these guys are nothing like Prashad Perriman you know they're they're nothing like Tommy Streeter. These aren't physical specimens. These guys are a little bit smaller, but they catch everything. That's exactly what we wanted, and um, I'm optimistic about these guys. You know, I hope I hope at least out of the two of them, at least one of them can contribute. Uh, it definitely seems like Harbs is excited, so um, I'm excited too. I think it's appropriate to talk about Devin Duvernay and uh, James Proche. Similar to like what we did for the linebackers. You know, at 5'11", but 200 pounds, he actually is built a little bit bigger than you might think. He has like more of a running back kind of body, kind of a poor man's uh, Lavishka Chenault almost. And uh, he actually has been seen winning in blocking situations downfield. So it's nice that you get that. Hugely agree with you, Chris, in that we were looking for productivity. We're looking at reliability with the hands. And both these players were highly productive. DuVernay had the most catches in the country. Everyone wants to talk about how they never saw him drop a pass. And then Prochet also has really good hands, but very similar in build, right? Also 5'11", a little bit less speed. He doesn't have the top end speed. And he also doesn't really have as much, uh, you know, making separation downfield. But he does have quick feet and has tight breaks. Uh, I'm a little worried about both these guys when it comes to 50-50 balls just because of their size. But I will say, if you look at the highlights for James, granted, you know, they are highlights, but he's actually kind of known for making theatrical catches. He's known for getting balls where it doesn't look like he has any business doing so. So uh, both of them also have special teams experience, right? Return capabilities. So I think they're going to be impact players. I think for James in particular, like he, you know, Proch is going to have to make his bacon on special teams, while DuVernay will have probably more of a likelihood of getting in the offense. But we'll see. Lots of little ponies, <laughs> you know. Lots of uh, these uh, fast ponies, and I was—I'm thinking that Miles Boykin really needs to step up now next year. Yeah, and, and we're looking. You know, we keep saying going back to that game against the Titans. You know, what was another another thing that really hurt the Ravens in that game was just drop passes, and you see that one of the highest traits mentioned in both these guys, like you said, is that they catch everything. So again. And just another sign that DeCostas just had that game replaying in his mind all all offseason and just trying to fill every hole that, that was exposed in that game. I don't know if these guys are going to be initial starters for the team when uh, 
training camp breaks. I mean, like Brown and Boy- Boykin were just kind of by default last year. But you do bring up an interesting point if if they could challenge Boykin for playing time. We have mentioned before in the past that we hoped that the Ravens would bring in someone, whether by free agency or the draft, that that will light a bit of a fire under Boykin because he seems like a guy who has really good potential, but still trying to get up to game speed with those skills. But yeah, I agree with you guys. It, it, at the moment, it doesn't look like these guys would would uh, take Boykin's spot, but if if he struggles with drops either in, in preseason or early in the season, if he does initially win a starting receiver spot, I think one of these two guys would, the Rams be very quick to to cycle one of those two into his spot. So then with the next two picks, the Ravens hit another need that we were expecting they would probably get a little higher in the draft, but they got some two intriguing prospects in Tyree Phillips in round three with the 106 pick and Ben Bredesen with the fourth round pick and pick 143. And it's interesting with, with both these guys, because with, with Phillips, you've got the the monster physique prospect, 6'5", 345, 35-inch arms, 10-inch hands. And then you've got Bredesen, who is less athletic, has shorter arms. In- shorter than McCary. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, as, as Ken and I talked about on the show, <laughs> not necessarily shorter, because... Um, Arm length is um, widely misreported sometimes, but uh, short arms. Needless <laughs> to say, short arms, <laughs> not so, not gigantic arms like uh, Tyree Phillips. No, but <laughs> what he does have working for him is, you know, he had gotten outstanding scouting report from Jim Harbaugh. Uh, John spoke about that in the post draft interview on Ravens.com about how how Jim said that the Ravens will just love this guy. Uh, he's very I, th- I think believe the the term that Ken used to describe his type of player on the on the podcast was a, a professional lineman. You know, he really knows the position. Apparently, the guy has a photographic memory and scored highest on the Wonderlick for interior guards for whatever that's worth. <laughs> so he might be more. Both these guys are probably going to be more project players for for different reasons. But there's definitely a lot on both of their foundations that look like they could eventually be quality players on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I, I love both these picks just from a, uh, you know, a depth and competition perspective. I mean, we had talked about that, you know, we really don't have anybody behind Stanley and behind uh, Orlando Brown to be able to play those tackle spots. We're really relying on James Hurst to kind of be that swing tackle sort of guy. Um, but if you looked at Everybody else, you know, on the depth chart, or as far as who would be active on game day, really didn't have anybody else. So I think Greg Sanat was really uh, the guy that we had for the first year. But at the beginning of the season, obviously, we dropped him. He got picked up by the Chiefs. So we kind of had to rely on Hurst for that. So, yeah, I think Phillips is going to be, you know, kind of our primary guy as, as sort of a backup tackle, maybe a guard if we had to. So I think that definitely addresses a need. And, yeah, Bredesen... I think that's great to bring in another guy, you know, to compete with Powers, to compete with Bozeman, to be able to pick up one of those guard spots. You know, it's it's funny. I th- it feels like every year we're always asking, like, you know, oh, how's the Ravens' offensive line? How's it going to shape out? Like, who's going to get what spots? But you know, honestly, year after year after year, you know, we always have these questions in training camp, but we always come into the like midseason and we wonder, like, man, this Ravens' offensive line is pretty good. You know, I wonder what happened here. And um, yeah, I, I think just adding more of these guys with, you know, proven track records and, you know, talent, I think it's just going to add more pieces and, you know, hopefully make the uh, the output of the line just as good this year as it, as it was last year. And that's really saying something considering that, you know, Marshall Yonda just retired uh, just a couple months ago. So I had the same initial reaction as you, Chris, thinking that Tyree Phillips would be a kind of James Hurst lookalike and being able to transition between the positions. One thing that Ken brought up when we were recording is that the problem with Tyree is that he has some bad weight at 345. Um, you know, at 65, if you look at him versus Stanley, Stanley's three, uh, 313, right? So he is not as uh, sculpted, which I think 
you know, slows down his uh, lateral agility, might allow him to get beat around the edge. But it's hard not to get really excited about just his raw physique. I mean, if you just think about it, like we, we joke about the arms, right? But if you can hold a guy such that he can't, you know, touch you, that's really effective in blocking, right? Like it's 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 a hugely important uh, physical attribute. And I think his versatility and just the power he'll bring will make him a uh, a prospect that might find his way into the starting rotation. Uh, I'm curious to see how these guys battle it out with Powers and Bozeman and maybe even Skura. I think Bredesen could be a center option as well. It kind of shields his shorter arms and also uh, he can use that mind of his. So uh, very exciting picks. And I was glad to see him kind of hit it back to back. I think these are natural rounds. You know, it was the last pick of the third round, last pick of the night. And then fourth round to be picking linemen, unless they're like you know truly transcendent players. This is a good place to be taking guards and such. That's where the value was this draft, too. I mean, you look at the rest of the interior linemen. Ruiz was the only one drafted in the first round, and then a lot of them fell quite a bit. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry was the second-ranked centers on some boards, wasn't drafted till the third round. I think Hennessy and, and Harris, some of the guys we were talking about in the draft episode, got picked at like... Well, Hennessy was second round. I think Harris was fourth, but... And you look at, at what these guys, their scouting reports, there there really wasn't that much more to like in those guys that got picked a little higher. So it really wasn't that big of a drop-off from from my perspective. Uh, you know, my uneducated just <laughs> became an offensive line scout two weeks ago. But <laughs> yeah, I think that the Ravens did a good job here of seeing that there wasn't a huge amount of difference between talent and potential between players who are getting picked in the second and early third versus later third and fourth, who was still going to be available. And I think you got two good value selections here based on where the rest of the class was being picked and what was the quality of, of the guys there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and look at the Ravens track record too, and, and being able to pick up some of these guys in sort of the mid later rounds. Right. I mean, you know, we've talked about it before. Bozeman was a six round pick. I mean, we had a guy like Ricky Wagner. I think he was a fifth round pick. You know, we've had a lot of these guys be very solid contributors, maybe not in their first year, maybe not in their second year, but you know, um, we've been able to develop some of these, you know, guys, be able to become pretty good players near the end of their first contracts and you know hopefully with uh with these two guys we'll you know at least one of them will continue the trend so as we came to a close we talked about james Proch already so we had two other defensive players that were selected with uh the 170th pick of the nfl draft the ravens selected broderick washington jr defensive tackle out of texas tech to be honest with you guys, this was one of the guys I didn't know much about going into the draft, had to look him up, and there wasn't too much information about him, but I think the most exciting part was that he was a three-year starter and a two-year team captain, so he brought some leadership that you know might be useful in the locker room. Yeah, I, I agree. This is a guy I really didn't know too much about before, well, I didn't know anything about this guy before the Ravens picked him, um, and haven't really had a chance to look too heavily into this pick, but it's good to see he knows how to play all the defensive line positions and he has good leadership skills. So it sounds like a guy who's, who's going to be probably a, a rotational guy in the event of an injury and maybe a spot starter every now and again, uh, at least looking at it right now. I don't see him playing any more techs than probably like the three tech, to be honest. Like he did play all those different positions, just given his uh, size though and his skills. He seems to be a uh, a trenches mauler more so than a uh, a guy who could line up on the edge and really give you an impact. But yeah, I, I, I don't think there's much more to say about him. He's going to likely be in a very crowded defensive line area. I'm curious to see what this means for Daylon Mack. I'm not too confident that they're both going to make the team, to be honest. So uh, yeah, we'll see. It, it It's hard to carry that many defensive tackles i mean maybe they, they cut ellis i don't know because they want to stay younger but ellis is probably the better player so it's uh this is a, this is an interesting pick not a bad pick just it, it made you start to scratch your head about some of the other players on the team 
Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Uh, you know, looking at the draft, I think this is probably the one pick that uh, I feel like maybe the Ravens shouldn't have made or maybe would have gone in another position because just at that point that you brought up, Alec, of, of we don't know between this guy and between Dale and Mack, you know, or, or you know, maybe, even maybe Justin Ellis, but probably those two probably these two guys you know only one of them is going to make the team so the real question is like say that Mac did make the team and this guy didn't well does that mean that he's getting cut or are the Ravens going to keep him around you know on IR and and stash him there for a year until you know we basically repeat this conversation next year right it just seemed like with with already picking up Matabuke it, it seemed like kind of a luxury pick you know but then again I mean I'd have to look at that fifth round around that spot to see who else is available yeah and it's interesting too that mac was teammates with uh Matabuke, so i'm curious if uh if that'll help him at all you know like having a little bit of relationship working alongside him but yeah it's uh it was definitely i think a luxury pick and i think you'll find chris uh if you, if you go and look at who was available there weren't like too many names that would have like called your name although um the last guy that we picked up. A lot of people were clamoring to be drafted as it continued to fall, fall, fall. And that's Geno Stone out of Iowa, the safety that Peter brought up. And not uh, Geno Smith, as you originally texted me and got me really confused as to why <laughs> Geno Smith was relevant again. I was really confused by that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, uh, I was actually on a, on a socially distanced bike ride during the seventh round of the draft. So I didn't see this pick live, but yeah, I think for, for value, I mean, this is a guy who I thought if the Ravens were going to get him would be like a fourth or fifth round pick. So to see them get him here and, you know, I mean, I don't see this guy becoming Chuck Clark, but as far as a depth guy who has good football IQ and reads the quarterback's eyes well, uh, and is, they're expecting that he could be a pretty good contributor on, on special teams. I think that's excellent value at, at seventh round. And, you know, it's it's funny. If you look at the Ravens' draft history, they have drafted a Pro Bowl talent at every round of the draft with the exception of seventh round, which is interesting for a, for a team with as good of a drafting track record as, as the Ravens. If you want to go with the best Ravens seventh round pick, it's going to be like, it's a competition between either Michael Campanero or D'Angelo Tyson. That's that's your <laughs> best ever Ravens seventh round pick so far. So I mean, I mean, maybe this guy can can clear that not terribly high hurdle. But yeah, this is one of the most excited I've been for for a Ravens seventh round pick in a bit. It's funny you say that. That's exactly what Ken was saying about uh, <laughs> about him. Is that they've all been put on notice. <laughs> he also had uh, <laughs> Ralph Staden on there. It was a big hitter with five interceptions in 25 games with the Ravens. Yeah, he actually could contribute. So he could play deep safety. We've been talking about how that position might be of need for the Ravens and um, his instincts. One thing I brought up on the show is that someone made the comparison that, you know, Ed Reed wasn't the fastest guy either. And one thing that's a knock on stone is he has uh, 4.6 speed. But because his instincts are so good and he is the kind of a hawk, he will start going to the ball sooner than anyone else would, and it kind of makes up for it. So maybe that means he has to gamble more. He has to be a little bit smarter. But uh, and not to compare, you know, a seventh round pick to a Hall of Famer that went in the first round. But it is an interesting comparison, and it's interesting to see how that kind of plays into his uh, his value to the Ravens. Well, Ed Reed definitely never gambled during his whole career. <laughs> Every read he always made was correct. <laughs> That's a good point. How's Gino with uh, audibles? No. <laughs> How's his lateral skills? Laterals. <laughs> right, laterals. Laterals. <laughs> laterals. <laughs> I tell you what, though. Um, watching uh, watching some some of Gino's highlights um, before the pod, uh, I thought it was really funny because uh, in a lot of the plays that you see Gino make, you can see. Uh, our guy Epineza kind of in the same play. You see him either pressuring the quarterback and then, you know, Gino making up a play. So it's definitely kind of curious to see, you know, how, you know, these players on their defense kind of complement each other. So I'm I'm hoping that Gino is going to be a good player because, yeah, of, of everything you guys just said, I think he's, you know, definitely got some talent. I think, 
you know, there's going to be an opportunity for him to contribute in one way or the other. So hope it works out for him. So now that we talked about all the picks, which one is your favorite? I already offered that Matt Bouquet got my uh, engine rev, so to speak, and I'm pretty excited to see him in a Ravens uniform. What about you guys? For me, it's it's uh, there's a lot of guys I could pick. Like there's so many picks that I really like in this draft, but I'm going to take Malik Harrison, kind of for the reason that I said at the beginning. You know how it amplifies the value of that first round pick with how well he appears to be that he'll pair with Queen. Uh, really helped solidify a position that was weak going into this draft is now has the potential to be one of the strengths, if not the strength of the defense in three to four years, if these guys develop how we think they could. I think that, yeah, that was a pick that was of great need and you got a guy with uh, some really good potential there. Yeah, for me, I mean, you know, there are a lot of guys here I think I could say um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say J.K. Dobbins just for the fact that I think it's super ballsy that Eric DaCosta went best player available in the second round for a running back. You know, I just feel like he has to really, really love this guy to be able to put you know such a high draft pick toward this position when the rest of the NFL doesn't really want to touch running backs in the first couple of rounds. You know, I. I you know, I think this could be really, really interesting to pair this guy with Lamar Jackson, with Mark Ingram and that position group. And, you know, I think it could really, you know, improve a position that was already the best in the NFL last year. So I think it's extremely interesting. All right. So now that we just talk about who our, our favorite pick was, what what is the holes, biggest hole that we still think remains on the roster that we would have liked to see the Ravens uh, attack in this draft? We can all just talk about edge rusher if that's uh, what we all think. <laughs> <laughs> well, so edge rusher is obvious, right? Now, we are looking at undrafted free agents. One thing to note is that the Ravens did not draft any small school guys this year, which is unusual for them. And one hypothesis that Cammy Kuzik had is that no one scouts them as well as the Ravens do anyways, so they, they were like, they're not going to even be drafted. We can get them later, which is potentially true. Uh, there's definitely some hype around Chauncey Rivers. Uh, I saw Ivan Evans was pretty excited on Twitter that we picked him up as an undrafted free agent. So, you know, the story's not over when it comes to adding young players to fill in these holes. It's just, you know, a lot harder to make impact. And I'll also point out that tight end and fullback are two positions that, A, we have picked up an undrafted free agent, and B, it's like the perfect place to pick up those guys because the tight end class was thin and it's not like a huge need right now and no one drafts fullbacks, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's like extremely rare. Um, so I think the only other positions I would have touched, they seem to be doing something about in undrafted free agents. And I mean, they, they, they sprinkle undrafted free agents everywhere. But given the track record of the Ravens and those position groups and finding people in that kind of uh, arena, I think it might work out. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, this this isn't really a hole, but it's just a position that ordinarily I would have felt like the Ravens would have made at least one move um, as cornerback. Honestly, position group right now is definitely full with a lot of vets. I mean, we've got Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters are definitely going to be the starting cornerbacks. Tavon Young, if he comes back healthy, is probably going to knock down that starting nickel spot. And then, of course, Jimmy Smith is coming back. We we all know about that. But then behind them, we've we've got Everett, who, I mean, let's be honest, has kind of been, hasn't really earned as many snaps as, you know, we probably would have liked him to have earned. And then we have Iman Marshall, who barely got any playing time last year. I'm a little surprised that the Ravens didn't, you know, use one of their third, fourth, you know, fifth round picks on another cornerback to maybe develop. But yeah, outside of that, you know, uh, you know, I think the roster is honestly pretty good. Like, you know, I, I I feel a lot better, I think, knowing what moves we made in free agency and then adding on the uh, depth that we just added to uh, defensive tackle and the linebacker. I think kind of all those additions really help, um, will definitely really help uh, negate maybe some of the weaknesses that we had last year on edge um, just by upgrading the overall talent 
of the defense. So I don't feel as bad, you know, as I might have felt going into uh, the draft, um, now knowing all the depth that we've kind of added around it. I think for me, the hole that's, that still remains, despite the fact that we did say uh, some great things about DuVernay and and Proche, and both those guys have potential, I, I still think this team is weaker than you'd like at receivers. You obviously still have Hollywood Brown looks like he's going to be a pro bowler this year if he's if he's healthy. And you got Mark Andrews, but you lost Hayden Hurst, and I don't know if either of these two guys are ready to walk in in the door and be able to bring the same production that, that he brought, which admittedly wasn't, you know, a ton because they didn't throw to him that much, but I, it's, it's just still tough to, to trust the Ravens with wide receiver draft picks until we've seen them make more hits than just Marquise Brown. Maybe I'd feel a little better about the position if they were able to get, uh, you know, instead of Dobbins, a guy who could, who, who were a lot more certain could step in in week one and be a, a starter opposite Brown. But, and these guys might, might be able to do that, but we're going to have to uh, see more of that them in the preseason to, to know exactly what the state of this Ravens receiving corpse is going forward. And with that, I think we have exhausted the new Ravens news and we all will be awaiting to see what happens with NFL news going forward. Yep. You know, we, we've been thirsty for some uh, football news, and we got it. We just uh, yeah. <laughs> drank it as quick as we could, and now we're looking for some more. But hopefully things start picking up, and we'll have more content for you guys. Thank you for listening. Please tell a friend. Uh, it's definitely great to see the podcast has been growing in the off season, which is kind of hard to believe. So appreciate that. It's definitely because you guys are helping us out. And if you want to continue to help us out, leave a review on iTunes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us at Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. And feel free to send us an email at feedback at ravensrecap.com. It's been fun reaching out to people on Twitter, having good conversations. And, uh, you know, just appreciate all the conversation. And we'll catch you soon with another episode of Ravens Recap. Go Ravens!